Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. John Wilmot once said, Before I married, I had three theories about raising children and no children. Now, I have three children and no theories. Good evening, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format, and we are caller-friendly. So let's get started. Good evening, Jonathan. How are you? What's going on? And boy, have we got a good one tonight. Oh, we do, Rick. Our question for today is, do children really need discipline? And our theme text is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. All right, so the question is, do children really need discipline? And what does discipline mean and all of those things attached to it? So, Jonathan, here's the thing. Raising children is different than it used to be. Somehow or other, the lines between parents and children have become blurred. Somehow or other, the very idea of firm discipline has become associated with beatings and abuse. Somehow or other, our children's feelings have become the foundation for our parental actions and responses. What happened to parents unequivocally ruling the roost? Is that now wrong? What happened to parents being authoritative and firm? Is that now wrong? What happened to the clear lines of right and wrong being the solid foundation for parental decision-making? Is that now wrong? Have we begun to approach the point where we assign so many rights to children that we as parents are inherently wrong? What do children need? And how are we supposed to know what they need and how to give it to them? Wow. Wow, Rick. <laughs> Lots of questions. Yeah. And, we, and this, is a, this is a heavy-duty subject. <laughs> it is, and we only have two hours to deal with it. And there is so much, so much to look at with a subject like this. Again, folks, the question for today's podcast is, do children really need discipline. And I'm sure that everyone would say to some extent, yes, children, of course, need discipline. But we need to define what that proper discipline is. And I think even more importantly, what that proper discipline is not. And one of the things, Jonathan, that disturbs me about this subject, there are many things that disturb me about this subject. But one of them is particularly is the misrepresentation that Bible Scripture has when it comes to raising children. Because That's I th- a good point. I think that a lot of people look at Bible Scripture and say, yeah, the Bible talks about beating your children up. And, you know, and, and either some people will take that literally, or others will say, oh, what a terrible book that is. 
it talks about beating children up. Can't listen to that book. Well, wrong and wrong, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But let's begin our conversation today with the Bible verses that so many people seem to point to as an excuse to write, off, write the Bible off, or even worse, as an excuse to beat their kids. Okay, now I'm not going to quote the verse yet. Um, I'm going to, we're going to go to a soundbite. This was from CNN News. Uh, Christian parents beat their children to death for God. Okay, so if you have small children listening, don't let them listen to this. This is just too disturbing, but this makes a really important point. It's about a minute long, and, and again, it's, it's a CNN news item. This actually, unfortunately, really happened. Oops. Our family of listeners is growing. Sorry about that. The small town of Paradise, California where these children lived with their parents in a fundamentalist Christian home. For the nine children, life in paradise was anything but. We cover up eight of their faces because they are the survivors. Survivors of a violent form of discipline practiced by their parents, Kevin and Elizabeth Schatz. The one face not covered is their seven-year-old adopted daughter, Lydia. She was killed by her parents. Mike Ramsey is the district attorney of Butte County in Northern California. We've heard of, you know, the, the phrase, death by a thousand lashes. Uh, that's basically what this was. Authorities say Kevin and Elizabeth Schatz beat their children regularly. The district attorney says the Schatz believed... To spare the, the rod will spoil the child. And if you can train your horse and you can train your dog, you can train your children. Seven-year-old Lydia suffered terribly, supposedly in the name of God. Now we're gonna we're gonna stop that there, Jonathan. It uh, it gets more graphic, and uh, I will tell you just to fill in the gaps that uh, fortunately these parents were put in jail. Uh, the children were taken away from them, uh, but they beat that poor child for seven hours. And seven hours. Yes, and they oh. they stopped only for periods of prayer. Something is fundamentally wrong with that and you think how could someone who claims to be a christian do that and because it's so it's so hideously removed from what god is and what christ is in our lives so you say how how could they get there not going to justify it because it's not justifiable but we're going to give you the scripture that so many people use to justify beating kids Okay, Proverbs chapter 23, verses 12 to 16. Apply thy heart unto instruction, and thine ears to the words of knowledge. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beat him with the rod, he will not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from Sheol. My son, if thy heart be wise, my heart will be glad, even mine. Yea, my heart will rejoice when thy lips speak right things. Okay, so let's go back, Jonathan, go back and reread verses, or just verse 13. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beat him with the rod, he will not die. All right, let's focus on that. And this is, those are uncomfortable words to listen to, aren't they? They really are, right? Okay, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. So you could take that phrase and you can conjure up 
all kinds of things. And you can conjure up the angry father literally beating his kid with a, with, with a heavy stick. Because, look, I'm not going to kill him. The scripture says beat him with a rod because he's not going to die, so I'll make sure I don't beat him to death, but I'll beat him to within a few inches of death because he needs to learn a lesson. And the Bible told me to do it. Is that what the Bible is saying? Is that what that scripture is saying? Because, Jonathan, it's a very blunt statement, isn't it? It is. If you, But we have to look up what those words truly mean, Rick. Okay. All right. All right. Well, let's do that then. Let, let's start. Let's do a little investigating. Let's go into the background here. So if you beat him with a rod, what does that word for rod actually mean? It means probably meaning to branch off. Okay, so that, that's the Strong's Concordance definition. That doesn't make too much sense, does it? What does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> means to branch off. That, I mean, I could see it meaning a branch, but it says right. to, to branch off. If we go into the Greek, uh, Hebrew Greek lexicon, the, the definition's a little bit more clear. The, Rod, staff, branch, offshoot, club, scepter, tribe. So now it's weird because it can mean a rod, like you know you envision, or a staff or a branch, but it also can mean an offshoot or a scepter or a tribe. And the strange thing about this, Jonathan, is this word for rod is translated tribe more than it's translated rod or scepter or staff. You're right. That's so, huge. so, and so you, well, you think, wait, 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 you beat him with a tribe? What do you invite all your neighbors in to beat him? Is that what it's saying? <laughs> and no, 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 no. That, that, that's not it at all. But the, what we need to understand is what, what that word is used to describe. And it's used to describe the separate tribes of Israel. You say, well, how can you take a rod, you know, a piece of wood or a scepter and use that to describe tribes of Israel? Let's hold on to that thought just for a minute, and let's see if we can get a little bit more clarity on this. And to find the clarity on this, let's go to uh, uh, McClintock and Strong's uh, Encyclopedia of the Bible. It's very, very exhaustive explanation of words and history and usage and so forth. And this, this is really important in helping us to get some, some uh, groundwork set. So it's talking about—I'm not- sorry, I, I, excuse me, Jonathan. So this is talking about this particular word for rod. This denotes a staff of wood, Ezekiel 19.11, about the height of a man, which the ancient kings and chiefs bore as an insignia of honor. The use of the staff as a symbol of authority was not confined to kings. It might be used by any leader. Indeed, no instance of the scepter being actually handled by a Jewish king occurs in the Bible. The allusions to it are all of a metaphorical character and describe it simply as one of the insignia of supreme power in Psalms 45.6. Okay, so what it's saying is the word when it's translated as scepter is actually not referring to a literal stick, but referring to the position of power that the one who would have the scepter would have. So it's referring to a position not a stick. Does that make sense? Well, it sure, it, it makes sense reading this definition, but when you read the verse on its own, it it doesn't 
make it easy. No, you're right. It doesn't. And it, it, cer- it certainly doesn't. Thou shalt, if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. Now, look, there is a literal application for this. There's no question about it. But I think we need to understand the bigger picture of what this scripture is teaching us to do. Is this scripture teaching us to beat our kids about their bodies with a rod? The answer is no, unequivocally not. Okay, then what is it teaching us to do? If we understand that this word is most often used to to show a symbol of authority, not a physical stick. And again, you can look it up for yourself. That word is translated tribe 140 times, rod 34 times, scepter 10 times, staff twice. So you can see that the vast majority of its uses are describing tribes. Now, the 12 tribes of Israel, Jonathan, each had individual strength and power. They, sure. they, they stood represented uh, to Moses uh, over all of Israel uh, with, with, with their own personal or their own tribal authority. So the word really is showing us strength and authority. It's not showing us an implement of, uh, it's not showing us a weapon. It's showing us strength and authority. That's what the word really truly means. That, go ahead. Okay, well, all right, so you're covering rod there, but the other word, Rick, we're going to be talking about is the word beat. You're not letting me and off the hook, are you? <laughs> I'm not going to let you off the hook, because how do we deal with that? <laughs> well, okay, well, what does it mean? Well, it literally means to strike lightly or severely, literally or figuratively, beat, cast forth, clap, give wounds. Okay, so the word for beat can mean to hurt somebody. Yes. Unequivocally, positively true. But it also says to strike lightly or severely, literally or figuratively. So one of the things that's important, Jonathan, is to look at how these two words are used together in other scriptures. Because if we go to other scriptures and we see how they're used together, it might help us understand this. Now, there are some cases where these two words are used together and it is a physical hit the guy with the stick. There's no question about that. But there are many other instances. We're going to touch on just two. There are many other instances where it actually means something different. We'd love to talk to you right now. We're live. Call us at 866-985-4ALL. That's 866-985-4255. Or leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, so you had mentioned that word can mean to, you know, beat or to give wounds and all that, but it can also be figurative. How do we know? Well, let's take a look at a couple of scriptures just quickly in this particular segment. Isaiah eleven four. But the righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove the equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Okay, this is talking about God and God's uh, retribution on the earth, and it says he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. Okay, you explain to me what that means. Is that, is that literal? <laughs> No. <laughs> I mean, is, is it like he's going to beat the earth with his tongue? I mean, uh, no. <laughs> of course not. You look at that and say, of course that's not literal. But it's using the exact same words with the exact same type of intent. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And, with the, and, and it goes further. With the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. I mean, wow. 
you know, does God, is that where you get the phrase, oh, he blew them away? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the point, Jonathan, is that it's a figurative uh, statement to show the overwhelming authority of God against those who stand against him. That's what it's showing us. Another scripture that illustrates this is Micah chapter 5, verse 1. Now, this is not God uh, in, in this particular scripture, but the same kind of thing is happening here. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughters of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. So now is it talking about literally smiting the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek? Well, there weren't even any judges in Israel at that time. That's interesting. Okay, so what it's saying is he, the enemy, will humiliate Israel. There will be a a national humiliation. Smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. It's not a literal taking a stick and smacking the guy in the cheek. It's something entirely different. And what we need to understand is these these words, this phrase— does have a literal physical meaning. There's no question about it. It can mean, yes, you hit somebody with a stick. There's absolutely, and it's used that way in Scripture, okay? But it is also used that a very different way in Scripture. It's used to show the application, the firm and clear application of absolute authority. There's a difference between the two. So what we have to do is look at this and say, okay, if there's a difference between the two, how do you know which one applies where? And that's a big, big question. That is. It's a challenge. It is. And to be able to answer that challenge, what we want to do is next we're going to take this scripture apart and we're going to see exactly how it all works and why we think, why we absolutely believe that God is not telling us to unequivocally beat our children. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Do Children Really Need Discipline? Coming up, the phrase, beat with a rod, is also a literal phrase. How do we really know which way to take it? That's next. listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is Do Children Really Need Discipline? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. We want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, as we proceed through this, this is a, this is a tough subject. And, you know, the, the soundbite that we heard in the first hour is, is just deeply troubling. And so we need to balance that out a little bit. So we got to throw a little humor in here as well. So we found this, somebody sent this to me, um, this uh, YouTube video from, it's called From the Break Womb, W-O-M-B, and it's three or four moms 
that they're just plain old funny, and they're talking about raising children and and all different applications, and and, and they're just they're just uh, a lot of fun to to watch and listen to, and so in this particular video, it's called disciplining kids across time, and so what they're doing is they're sort of play acting a moment. Uh, in, at different times in history of what raising kids would have been. And again, this is funny. So don't take literally what they're saying, but put, put yourself in their position as moms and, and, and kind of laugh at this. So this is their depiction of mothering in the 1850s. Adelaide was horsing around yesterday and nearly knocked over the pot of butter I was churning. Mm. That child is cursed by the devil. Mm-hmm. So I locked her in the attic with no food or water for a week. Now she'll be careful. You're soft. When my 11 lazy children woke up a full minute after daybreak, I sent those wicked beasts out into the cornfields, never to be heard from again. That's why you got to laugh, okay? Because you can't take it for literally. Sure. <laughs> Well, we'll be coming Crazy. back to them for the for the next several segments, and and they're going to work their way up to the present time, and then even into the future. And I just think they're funny. So they are. With that as a background, let's now get to the context of the scripture that we were talking about in the first segment, because the context of the phrase is going to help us see the meaning behind the phrase. And remember, the phrase, the big phrase in question is, "For if thou beat him with the rod, he will not die." How can we say that's not literal? Well, we've got to go to the... And Jonathan, you know what my favorite word is. Context, Rick. Yes. If you get the context, you can get the meaning. So we're going to take these verses apart piece by piece, starting with... And we are in um, Proverbs 23. We're going to start with uh, the first, first half of verse 12. Apply thy heart unto instruction. So, Well, whose heart? Well, and I think this is talking to the parents. Okay? okay, this is talking to the parents. It says, apply your heart unto instruction. What does the word instruction mean in this particular verse? Rick, it means chastisement, figuratively, reproof, warning, or instruction. Also, restraint. So the word can actually mean chastisement. And when you think about chastisement, you think, oh, I'm getting punished. And that's correct. Right. So mm-hmm. this is saying to the parents, apply your heart to chastisement. So what it's saying is parents will be, uh, parents should be willing to humbly receive instruction, correction, and restraint in our inner heart from God. So we should be willing to line up and, and be willing to be disciplined by God. Ourselves. Right, ourselves. Not This has nothing to do with us doing anything for or to anybody else. This is all about me as the parent. So the first part of the phrase is, apply thy heart unto instruction. And then it says, and thine ears to the words of knowledge. Well, whose ears? Uh, uh, the parent's ears. Listen to the word of God. God's word doesn't come from your own unsettled heart. God's word comes from above. And Jonathan, we got we, we to pause and think about that for a minute because if we get that, if we understand the power of that particular statement about God's um, word not coming from our hearts but coming from above, it takes a lot of the pressure off because how often in our hearts, especially dealing with our own children, do we get angry? Do we lose our temper? Do we lose? The, we come to the end of our rope with our patience. 
and then we search for something to do, but we perhaps lash out at, based on how we feel. Lashing out. That's based, dangerous. It That's is. That's dangerous, but we do. We, Our emotions sometimes get the best of us. Right. And, and when that happens, we're not relying on God's word. We're relying on our own unsettled heart. Those are not the same. And just because you think you have God's word in your heart, if you are not acting in accordance with the whole of God's word, something's missing. Okay? so we and, and Rick, God's word is full of love, mercy, and forgiveness. So we have to have those yeah, yeah. in our heart while we are disciplining. So that's an important part of this. And so when this verse starts out, verse 12 starts out, look, parents, apply your heart to instruction, to chastisement, to uh, reproof and warning, and your ears to the words of knowledge. It's saying you've got to be open to be able to receive something that's bigger than you are. And then what does it say? What's the next verse? Verse 13, the first part of verse 13. Withhold not correction from the child. All right. So in the context of, of applying our heart to instruction uh, and our ears to the words of knowledge, it says, don't you even, and I'm, of course I'm paraphrasing, don't you even think about not correcting your child. Now, what does the word correction mean here? Well, it means instruction. Okay. It's, a, it's the same word. It's, it is. It's the same word that it says apply your heart to instruction. So whatever we're supposed to be getting from God, we're supposed to be giving to our children. Nothing more, nothing less. How about that? See, that's the rule that is being put in place. Withhold not instruction or chastisement or, or correction or restraint from your child. Okay? What we receive from God is what we're supposed to give to God. And, and Jonathan, here, let's just, you know, and I'm, I don't mean this to be funny, but does God beat you to a pulp when you are not obedient? No, he does not. What does he do? I'm humbled often, <laughs> and uh, it, the mistakes are exposed, and I feel shame, and I feel regret, and I ask for forgiveness, and humbly try to work back to where I need to be. But you don't get beaten to a pulp literally. No. You don't emerge with black eyes and, and, and stripes on your back and all of that. No, I don't. No, I don't. You emerge having been humbled. Yes. And, and I, I don't mean to be pointing at you, but you, you just happen to be a great target right there. <laughs> <laughs> but and see, that's what we as parents need to be focusing on is withhold not correction. Withhold not what you get from God from your children because to them, you are the supreme authority. You are the representation of God to them. So when God gives you correction and, and humbles you or I in our lives, we should be willing to do the same for our children, not to our children, for our children, so they can grow by it the way we are supposed to grow by it. So that is the beginning of the text. Now we get to the phrase, for if you beat him with the rod, he will not die. Okay, so, Jonathan, if we look at this from a standpoint of a figurative uh, application, how, what, what, what would it kind of be like? Well, it's like you're disciplining with a forceful authority 
that you have in the household. Right. And you're not going to, it's not going to kill him for you to put your foot down. No. It's not going to kill him for you to stand up for exactly what's right and to point out what is wrong with what the child did. Exactly. Because you love them and want to protect them. And that's why you discipline them. Now, is that a fun thing to do? No, it's not easy. No, <laughs> it's no, not fun. It, it really isn't. <laughs> you know, now, so, and, and, you know, I tend to really see the figurative meaning in this verse because of the way the verses before lead up to it. Apply your heart to being chastised and instructed by God. Make sure you listen to the words of God. Don't, with, don't hold back the correction your child needs because if you apply heavy-duty, strong authority to them fully, clearly, forcefully— it's not going to kill them. It's going no, it's to help not. them because that's what God does for us. And again, folks, if we take it from the standpoint of this is what God does for us, and he's saying do the same for your children, I don't see this as being that literal beat the kid with a stick. It just it doesn't make sense to me in the context. Okay? So, you know, in seeing this in, in the figurative sense, it's it's— as it's repeating the experience that we as parents have with God in verse 12 that we just talked about, and teaching children to respect parental authority as the parents respect God's authority. That's, I think, the key to this verse. We, it's a hierarchy thing. Yes. And as parents, we're responsible to be the authority to our children the way God is the authority to us. That's huge responsibility. And it's maturity, when you see it for its true light. Yes, absolutely. Okay, um, we, we took a lot of time on that. We're going to have to speed up a little bit in this segment. I want to pause here for a moment and go to uh, Lisa Fosbender, and I think she is a psychologist, Psychology 101 Parenting Styles. This She is going. She goes through four basic parenting styles. We're going to be visiting these throughout the program, and it really helps to identify where you what your experience was as a child and what your experience is as an adult, and there may be a combination of a couple, but let's just kind of absorb what these are saying to us. So this is the authoritarian uh, uh, approach to parenting. So the first parenting style, and luckily these are also named after exactly what they are, is called authoritarian. Now, someone who's an authoritarian is like a supreme ruler. They are a king or a queen, and oftentimes it has overtone of tyrant to it. Now, authoritarian parents have rules, and these rules are rules. There is no breaking, no bending, no kidding, no nothing, okay? You stick to the rules or else. You don't stick to the rules. The odds are bad things are going to happen to you. Children are not to speak to parents, except when told to jump, they may ask how high. I mean, it's like being raised in boot camp, in that there's no questioning, there's no disobeying. If you disobey, you're likely to be punished very swiftly and often very severely. Uh, Follow the rules or else, in other words. So the authoritarian, and a lot of people look at God as, well, he's authoritarian. Well, yeah, you know, maybe, but maybe not. I remember when... when, um, uh, it was Abraham went before God and pleaded for Sodom and Gomorrah. That's right. And God listened. And God reasoned with if him. If there are ten righteous, right, say, right. You'll, you'll, won't you save the city? Well, of course. But so, there aren't. <laughs> so God shows his reasonableness, but he also shows what the law is. 
And so is God authoritarian that way? No, I don't think so. I think he's got much more to it than that, and we'll we'll expand that as we go. But let's get back to this verse, Jonathan, because like I said, I'm I'm very long-winded here in this segment. So so the next part of of, uh, Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs 23 is verse 14, and what is that? Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shall deliver his soul from Sheol. So again, beat him with the rod, deliver his soul from Sheol, from the grave, because in the Old Testament, Sheol, that's what it meant. Sheol was right. literally the grave. So on the contrary, when you firmly discipline and correct your child, you're feeding the quality and habits of his life uh, positively. And in the law, rebellious children that grew up, if they remained rebellious, were supposed to be stoned. They were supposed to be removed. So literally, what it's saying Apply your authority as a parent and save him from death. So there's good wisdom in that. There is. It's not beating the child up. It is applying firm, clear authority of parenthood. And so now let's, so you say, well, still, it sounds very strong. And it is very strong. But let's now go to verse 15. My son, if thy heart be wise... My heart will be glad, even mine. See, now this is talking to the parent again. Back to the parent being instructed and directed to use wisdom in their parental responsibilities. It's saying, my son, be wise. I'm telling you how to be wise. This is God speaking to us. Verse 16. Yea, my heart will rejoice when thy lips speak right things. See, we can actually bring rejoicing to God's heart when we act in accordance with his word and his will. So, also, our children can do the same. If, for us, if we are godly in our disciplining them. So God is saying, you'll make my heart rejoice by doing and saying the right things that I am telling you. And that's the message we should be giving to our children. You'll make my heart rejoice. And Jonathan, nobody is going to give that lesson to their kid as they're beating them with a stick till they're, till they're knocked unconscious. No, it, it's based on love. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't fit the context of the, of the message from God here. So we're going to have during this program several parental discipline conclusions. What's our first one? We should seek to reflect the whole character of God in our efforts to discipline our children. The whole character of God. Not just what we determine to be one little thing, but the whole character of God. Let's go back to uh, Lisa uh, Fossbender, Psychology 101, uh, Parenting Styles, and she talked about authoritarian parenting, and now we're going to look at what kind of results that kind of parenting gets. The problem with this kind of parenting, this is the style of parenting that children are exposed to by one or both or all parents, is that the kids don't tend to turn out very well. Um, these children, when they grow up, tend to be very self-absorbed. They tend to be only worried about themselves. They can't necessarily worry about other people. Now, in boot camp, what happens is uh, military recruits are often kind of broken down so that they can be built up as a unit. They're broken down as individuals and built up to think of themselves as part of a unit. You don't get that in authoritarian parenting. You just get people getting broken down. And so they have a tendency to be very worried about themselves and what happens to them and probably not too much what happens to other people. They also have higher rates of substance abuse, which makes sense when you think about it, because if you're terrified that if you do the slightest thing wrong that the wrath of God is going to fall upon your head, that could pretty much lead anybody to want to escape for a while. Now the violence often comes from the fact that authoritarian parents tend to use physical punishment such as spankings which may escalate to beatings. There's a fine line often between the two. 
So it gives some of the results of authoritarian parenting, and, and they're not good. They, they, they isolate the child, and maybe you get obedience, but you don't get heart obedience. And that's really what we should be after. So uh, there's a great quote from Nicole Ari Parker. Raising children uses every bit of your being, your heart, your time, your patience, your foresight, your intuition to protect them. And you have to use all of this while trying to figure out how to discipline them. And that's exactly what we're saying that this Proverbs scripture is telling us. Use the whole package, not just the the, the physical uh, activity part. So this next scripture um, indicates the need for authority. Without it, without authority, a child is considered neglected, according to scriptures. Uh, Proverbs 29, 15 through 18. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way bring shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgressions increases, but the righteous will see their fall. See, the rod and reproof give wisdom. If you're beating your kid up, that's not going to give them wisdom. It's going to give them terror. So again, authority and reproof give wisdom. That makes a whole lot more sense. Let's continue. Correct your son, and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. So it's interesting. Correct your son, and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. Again, if you're beating your children bloody, they're not going to delight your soul. The correction here is spoken of is something that is powerful and has authority, but it's not beating them down. It's helping to build them up. Authority plus correction with love equals a child who learns and understands. Giving in equals a child who never understands good and evil and who therefore brings angst to their parents. And Jonathan, really quickly, our next parental discipline conclusion is what? Standing in humble, godly authority with your children guides them towards a true opportunity for a full and righteous life. Standing in humble, godly authority with your children. That's the way our authority is supposed to be expressed, not beating them over the head. Goodness sakes. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Do Children Really Need Discipline? Coming up, so we don't beat our kids up, right? How do we get them to honor what we say and decide for them? That's next. listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, Do Children Really Need Discipline? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Wherever you are on the planet, listen to our episodes and interact with us on the Christian Questions app. Download now on your Google or App Store by searching Christian Questions Radio. And so, Jonathan, in the first hour, we're staying strictly with the Old Testament because we want to lay some groundwork in the Old Testament and then and then build upon that foundation with the New Testament in the second hour. So um, 
actually, before we go back to the Old Testament and the groundwork, let's go back to the fun stuff, okay? We're going to go back to disciplining kids <laughs> kids across time uh, from these, uh, these moms who call themselves the break womb. And uh, this is now the 1950s. Remember the last one they were doing depicting the 1850s. So now they're depicting motherhood and, and children in the 1950s. Betty Sue and Sally Joe sassed back yesterday. What bird brains? I thought about locking them in the attic without food or water. What? But I'm no barbarian. Instead, I put soap in their mouths, hit them with my wooden spoon, and sent them to bed without supper. Hmm. So, what bird brains? That's <laughs> <laughs> just funny. And, uh, and, and, you know, you get a sense, a feel for the way things were looked at at different periods of time. And, and parenting certainly has changed. There's no question about it. Um, a great, a great uh, quote from William Arthur Ward. To make mistakes is human. To stumble is commonplace. To be able to laugh at yourself is maturity. And sometimes as parents, we have to get to the point where we just can have to be able to laugh at ourselves. Uh, because It's y- a constant laugh around here at our <laughs> house. Constant. <laughs> well, because parenting is an inexact science. There's no handbook except for scriptures, and that's oftentimes, as we're seeing, misunderstood. So we've just got to do the best we can, just apply ourselves as, as strongly as we can and, and, you know, see where we end up. And sometimes it's like, oops, <laughs> you know. So <Yep>. anyway, <laughs> it really comes down to focusing on what godly principles are. That's how you learn to discipline your children correctly. The fifth commandment, again, back to the law, from the law that was given to Moses, is very specific about childhood behavior what does it say exodus 20 12 honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the lord thy god giveth thee so it doesn't just say honor your father and mother but this commandment has an attachment that refers to your own life being blessed if you really honor your parents so you'd think that whoa god is saying there's a bonus here there's a bonus (laughs) that's right there's something to be gained by honoring your parents so you know the question is well how do we understand what honor is made of how do we get our kids to honor us do we demand it generally whenever you demand something it doesn't work so well Uh, you're right but honor begins with putting god above all else we know that because the four commandments before this were all about honoring god first Okay, so that's where it begins. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 19, verses 2 to 4, in terms of, again, finding out what, how to put honor in place. Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Okay, you be holy because I'm holy. And again, you see that same principle that we saw in the Proverbs 23 scripture, I do... God speaking, so you should do. God is the model, we follow the model, and then we model it to our children. So honor continues with your parents who truly honor God. All right, so we honor God, and then we honor our parents who are honoring God. And those are the two aspects of honor that are being focused on here. Verse uh, Leviticus 19, now verses 3 and 4. Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father. And you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. So honor is proven by your complete disconnection from idolatry. 
So it brings in honoring your parents after it talks about honoring God, and that's part of the secret. So if you as parents truly honor God, you are now putting yourself in a position to be able to be honored by your children. Makes sense to me. Makes great sense to me. That brings us to another parental discipline conclusion. Our gaining the respect of our children will often follow the pattern of our giving respect to God. So if you give a little of respect to God, you'll gain a little respect from your children. If you give a, give a lot of respect to God, you'll gain a lot of respect from your children. It really, really fits well. So Jonathan, um, we in the first in the last segment rather we were we used the example from uh, Psychology 101 Parenting Styles by Lisa Fosbender. The first parenting style was authoritarian. This second parenting style that she's going to discuss is permissive. It's it's kind of like the the absolute mirror opposite of the authoritarian. Now the opposite, the polar opposite of authoritarian parenting is permissive parenting. And with permissive parenting, it is pretty much the opposite. There are no rules. There are no guidelines. Children can do whatever they want. Children are not punished for what they do wrong. There are no consequences for their behaviors. And they are often, they, they can do whatever they want. They do something bad very often. The parent will wind up cleaning it up. Unfortunately, we see a lot of this type of parenting these days. We've kind of, there's a, there's a pendulum swing, and it goes from the authoritarian and now it's swung over to the permissive because a lot of parents don't want to punish their children, don't want to give them rules because it might squelch their growth and their creativity and whatnot. Although I got to tell you, teachers hate these kids. Hate them. Because the teacher does not like to be the first person to tell this child no or to tell this child that there are rules that need to be followed. Because I can tell you right now that when that child goes home and talks to the parent, the parent is going to come down on both feet on the teacher. And Jonathan, my, my niece is a teacher in, I think, third grade, third or fourth grade, I can't remember which, and she has that exact experience, the exasperation of having to be the one to tell the children no, be the one to inform them that there are rules that are bigger than you. Yes, it's true, and no, I will not tolerate you stepping outside of that, and it's really difficult. It's really it difficult. Is. So, so permissive parenting uh, causes a lot of grief, and we'll see some of the results of that in, in a moment. Um, Jonathan, let's go to uh, an article. We're going to break this article up and read parts of it throughout the rest of the program. It's by John Rosemond. This was in the Hartford Current, May 8, 2013, and it's called Living with Children. And he has a very, what many will consider, old-fashioned way of looking at raising children and you listen to it and you say well that's outdated well that's ridiculous listen to the wisdom of what he says and then we're going to put a lot of those principles uh, into our our conversation when i was a child backing in back in the parents stone age aka the parentalocentric era <laughs> your parents were the most important people in the family they paid the bills bought your clothes, prepared the food you ate, took care of what when you were sick, drove you to where you needed to be, tucked you in and kissed you goodnight. They were essential. Your parents acted like they were bigger than you were too, like they knew what they were doing and didn't need your help making decisions. In fact, your opinion really didn't matter much. 
when they spoke to you, they didn't bend down, grab their knees, and ask for your cooperation in wielding tone. They spoke in no uncertain terms, and they thought you were smart, so they only said something once. The rule was very simple. They told you what to do, and you did it, because they said so. Again, you, you listen to that and say, yeah, I'm glad I'm out of that situation. But you've got to see some of the wisdom of the authority that we were talking about and the strength that we were talking about and the fact that your parents were the most important people in your family because they were the ones who ran the household. They were the ones to whom all of the respect, all of the honor uh, uh, should go to because they were, they were the parents. We welcome all comments or questions, even if you disagree with us. Give us a call. We're live at 866-985-4ALL. So, Jonathan, this is, again, it's a throwback, and, and it can be a shock almost to listen to it and say, what? You're agreeing with that? And the answer is, yeah, actually, yeah, we are. We are. <laughs> <laughs> because there's great power in that. As a matter of fact, Jonathan, just on that, you had talked talk to me uh, before we started tonight about a specific parenting experience you and Jewel had with your son. That's right. We were at a wedding in Chicago, and we were standing out in, in this parking lot driveway area, and we're all having a great time chatting, and all of a sudden this car comes flying down the road and right up through the front door drive uh, where everyone's standing. And my wife yelled out to my son, Paul, stop. And he froze and the car barely missed him. If he hadn't stopped, it could have been a tragic, tragic so, event. So, so what made him stop? What training was behind that simple command? When we told our son no or to do something, we meant it. And he obeyed. He listened because he knew we were serious. So because he was trained, he immediately froze and didn't move an inch. So how, And it saved his life. How old was he at this time? Three years old. So you had drilled into his head that no means no. Exactly. That when mom and dad say no, that's the end of that. Exactly. And some people look at that and say, well, how cruel. Well, how life-saving. How yes. life-saving because... He had it so that when he heard your voices and that was there, especially with the urgency, I imagine, that Jewel would have said it, it oh, yeah. literally it, it saved his life. So that's a, it's an interesting authority that you applied to your, to your son at such an early age, and he understood the basics of that authority. It's a great, great, great example. With that, let's go um, back to the description of permissive parenting because there's actually two types of permissive parenting. And this, again, is Psychology 101, Parenting Styles with Lisa Fossbender. So this is the permissive indulgent um, type of parenting. There's two ways to be permissive. Neither of them are very good, but one is a little better than the others. Indulgent. And with permissive indulgent, children have no rules, they have no guidelines, but their parents do indeed love them, parent or parents. They know that they are loved by their parent or parents, even though and they're not given any rules or whatnot. So this one is, is okay. The kids are still holy terrors when they get to school, but at least the children grow up knowing that you know someone loves them. All right, so the idea is permissive indulgent is 
you allow the kid because, oh, you love them so much. Of course, I'm going to give little Johnny the extra helping of ice cream because I love you so much. <laughs> you know, it's the idea of, of overstepping boundaries that you should overstep. But it, you do it truly because there's that, that, that love and that attachment for the kid. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to have that love and attachment. The question we have to ask is, how do we express that love and attachment? And just because we have the love and attachment doesn't mean our expression of it is going to necessarily be a good thing. See, Jonathan, our children are going to honor us because this segment we're really talking about being honored by your children, and that is something every parent should try, strive for. Our children will honor us when we live the example of maturity and integrity that we want for them. We have to live what we want for them if we are to even have any hope of them finding what we want for them. And that's shown to us in Proverbs 4, 1 through 6. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. All right. So this is a father talking to his sons. He's saying, pay attention. I am giving you something valuable do not let go of what I'm telling you. And then he continues. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. See, Jonathan, this is a beautiful scripture because it's saying, look, son, I'm going to tell you something really important, and I want you to listen carefully, and I want you to grab hold of what I'm going to tell you and not let it go for any reason whatsoever. That's, that's the, the introduction. And then he says, when I was a kid, I was really important to my father, and my father taught me and he said, hold fast to my words. So, so it's, it's like the son is repeating what his father told him to his own son. And then he's saying, and then my father told me to acquire wisdom and acquire understanding. And he said, don't let go of wisdom and understanding. They will guide you. They will guard you. They will give you an opportunity at a wonderful life. Don't ever forsake wisdom. You guard her. You'll love her and she'll watch over you. There's something to be said about passing wisdom down from generation to generation. The problem today is we look at that and we think we're so enlightened now that the wisdom of past generations is a bunch of mush. So we toss it out because, well, it doesn't mean anything, or we even look at it as damaging. And, How sad. Well, and it's, it's, it's actually, it's tragic. With Be all the experience right. behind that wisdom... We don't have to make all the mistakes they did. <laughs> right, right. And that's exactly what this proverb is telling us. My son, listen, I've got pearls of wisdom for you. This is what my father taught me. And if we can adhere to the passing on of the value of our parents' wisdom. Look, our parents weren't perfect. It doesn't mean they didn't have wisdom. It doesn't mean they couldn't show us the way. It doesn't mean they didn't give us many, many things that we could take and we could use. And maybe they made some mistakes. Okay, so what? Don't focus on the mistakes. Focus on the wisdom, the goodness that they gave you, and use it with your own children. See, honor, again, it's all about honor. Honor is given in the exercise of truly listening. Proverbs 13, 1. 
A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Does a child have their ears open to their parents? Proverbs 15, 5. A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. So the passing on of wisdom from generation to generation is viable and it's important. And that brings us to our last parental discipline conclusion uh, for this hour. If we are living in a godly and reverential way, then we should teach our children to respect and honor us, for that is how we pass wisdom on to the next generation. So if we are living our principles of godliness, if we are truly living those principles of godliness, then that is something that we can take and give to our children and say, this is what I've learned, this is what I'm living, and this is how I want you to learn how to approach your life. This is how I want you to find your way by taking the principles that I learned from my father, from his father, eventually from God Almighty. And really, that's what parenting should be about. So folks, in the second hour, there's so much more to cover. We have not yet touched the New Testament. We spent this entire hour building the principles of parenting from the Old Testament. And what we're seeing is not the principle of beating a kid to a pulp, but the principle of loving and respecting them by showing them the way by having authority with love and guidance and showing them what can come of it. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, we'll be back in just a moment to continue this conversation. The question, do children really need discipline? Think about it. Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Terry After once said, Adolescence is society's permission slip for combining physical maturity with psychological irresponsibility. Good evening. Welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what is that subject that we have on the table uh, this evening? Very, very interesting and very powerful subject tonight. It is, Rick. Our question is, do children really need discipline? And our theme text is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. So that scripture, and Jonathan, you mentioned this to me before we started uh, the podcast today. You said, well, that scripture just answers the whole question, so we're done. Um, exactly. <laughs> so um, it, it, it really shows that it's, it's godliness that is so important in these things. It's godliness that is important, not beating the kid into submission, but godliness. So there were several parental discipline conclusions we came to in the first hour, and we really focused on the Old Testament because it is so misrepresented in the world in terms of, yes, the Old Testament teaches you should beat your kids up. No, it 
does not. So let's just go through these several parental discipline conclusions, Jonathan, as we start the second hour. We should seek to reflect the whole character of God in our efforts to discipline our children. Okay. Second. Go ahead. Standing in humble, godly authority with your children guides them towards a true opportunity for a full and righteous life. And third, our gaining the respect of our children will often follow the pattern of our giving respect to God. And fourth, if we are living in a godly and reverent way, then we should teach our children to respect and honor us, for this is how we pass wisdom on to the next generation. So there's so many pieces that we gain from the Old Testament, and none of them say beat your kids. None, none of them. them, okay? So it really puts things in, a, in a, so, so much a stronger position. Let's go to... Um, our, 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 uh, the, these uh, moms from the, the break womb. I, just, I love these ladies. They are so smart. <laughs> they're so witty. Disciplining kids across time. Now they're going to depict the 1990s way of disciplining. This should be kind of interesting, I think. I caught Michael using our Netscape to find book reports he could copy for English class. Not. I was going to spank him. What? what? But I'm not psychotic. So instead, I took away his Nintendo Game Boy for 24 hours. You really want to punish him. Tell him he can't go to the Vanilla Ice concert. <laughs> you had to be around in the 90s to appreciate that, I guess. <laughs> That's right. But again, you know, it's, it's, you could see the, the, the change in attitude and the, and the referring back to what previously was and say, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. This is what I'm going to do instead. So gives us a sense. So, you know, to, to best influence our children. We need to approach them with the highest regard for who they are and what they represent. And that is one of the greatest gifts we could ever have been blessed with. You know, but to have that great gift grow up, they need us to show them the way. And if we don't show them, Jonathan, they're not going to find it. Okay. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. You mean we can't rely on the teachers, Rick, to do it for us? Well, no. you know, pe oh, <laughs> parents do. I know they do. And, my, and that's so sad. My niece has so many sad stories about that happening. So, no, they should not. They do rely. And these teachers work really hard in a very disadvantaged position. But, you know, they're fighting an uphill battle. But anyway, Micah yeah. 6 8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So our parental discipline should be built on these three simple and elegant principles. Do justly, love mercy, or love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Now, we be, now with those three things from the Old Testament, because those kind of sum up what we've talked about in the, in the first hour of the podcast. They really do. They really, they really hit it hard. Now we can turn to the New Testament to round out our learning on raising children as Christians. Because here's a newsflash. Do not, if you are a Christian, just use the principles in the Old Testament because there's more to it for you if you're a Christian. And you owe it to yourself, to God, and to your children to apply New Testament scripture as well. So 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. So this is what Apostle Paul says. Yes. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So you have that same Old Testament principle of parenting, uh, of parenthood mirrored in the New Testament, but now it's using Christ as the mirror image. 
See, so it's a little bit different in the New Testament. We've got that much more personal approach to the, to our parenting uh, uh, challenges of this day. So, Jonathan, I want to pause here just for a moment and go to the permissive indifference uh, approach. Remember, in the in the in the last segment of the last hour, it was the permissive permissive indulgent approach to parenting. Yes. So this yes. is there's two different ways of permissive parenting. This is the permissive indifferent approach to parenting from Psychology 101: uh, Parenting Styles by Lisa Fossbender, and also the results of permissive parenting in general. Permissive and different parenting, on the other hand, children may have everything that they want or everything they need, but what they don't get is the parents. They don't get attention. They don't get love and affection and communication and such with the parents. And sometimes the parents are literally not around. Now, neither of these tend to turn out well, although permissive indulgent turns out a little bit better than permissive and different because permissive indulgent children at least know that their parents do love them. These children tend to be very dependent because they tend to be given everything that they want. All they have to do is ask for it or scream for it or throw a tantrum for it. And they get whatever they want. So they don't learn that in the real world you usually have to work for things that you want. So they're dependent, they're immature, they don't understand the word no, they often don't understand the words not now, you have to wait, they don't want to wait, they've never had to wait, and so they misbehave because they have simply never run into rules and regulations before. So permissiveness brings such angst to the child because eventually the world isn't going to put their permissiveness first. And isn't that where we are today? It Rick? is where we are today. And it's such an unfortunate circumstance to be in. It is such a such a, a, a messy situation for us to be in. Thanks for listening to Christian Questions Live. Call us now at 866-985-4255 or ask your questions and leave your comments at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, before we continue, I want to I wanna just share a story um, a parenting experience uh, Trish and I had uh, many years ago with our two daughters, Emily and Amy. Uh, they were maybe five and seven years old, somewhere in that area, you know, six and eight, five and seven, some, something like that, four and six, whatever. And I was not part of this, uh, but uh, it was during the day. Trish was home with them, and um, she uh, she was downstairs, and, and the girls came downstairs with a, with a chalkboard and with a little scepter type thing. Okay, and they came down and they informed their mother who had told them that they needed to clean their room that they didn't believe that they should clean their room and they were taking her to court. So they actually had this all thought out and they sat down in the chair, you know, like the witness stand and each of them had their 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 reasons for not cleaning the room written out on this board and they were holding the little scepter thing as they went through their reasons and they were presenting their case to their mom. And <laughs> yeah, what a riot! Yeah, so yeah, whatever the age, five and seven, six and eight, whatever it is, there's these they and they're dead serious about this. So Trish listens to this, and 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 I, I imagine it might have been really hard to not crack up because it's so darn cute. <laughs> but yes. she she listens, and then she finally says, after they're done presenting their case, she said to them something like, "You know, you guys have done a really good job 
telling me you know, how you feel about this. You've really done well presenting all of your reasons, and I respect all of that, but you still have to clean your room because I'm the judge and that's my ruling. And so, <laughs> I bet they didn't hand the scepter over to her. No, they did not. <laughs> they did not. They, they stomped upstairs and cleaned their room, you know. But see, the point of the story is it's good to listen. It's good to acknowledge. It's good to build up. But when something has to be done, something has to be done. And if you're the parent, you don't say, oh, you were so cute. I'm going to let you slide this time. You say, great job but you still have to clean your room because that's what has to be done and so again there's that's adorable <laughs> it's, it's, I, I love i love hearing them tell the story because you know just the smiles on their faces and you could see the intensity in their eyes as they remember how serious they were about that particular moment anyway just just had to put that out there the new testament obviously adds the dimension of Christ, like we mentioned with that one small scripture, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Uh, but, it's still, but it is still learning how to lead with honesty and integrity from the top down, from God down. If we don't do that, if we rely on our own unstable heart for that gut reaction as to how to raise our children, we will be wrong. We will be wrong. We need to rely on something higher than ourselves. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 19. I am not writing this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have, might have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Indeed, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. This is a wonderful text because the apostle is showing his incredible attachment to the Corinthian church. And Jonathan the Corinthian church was really screwed up. They had a lot of problems. It was a very worldly uh, yes. city. Yeah, and he, this letter, 1 Corinthians, his first letter to them, was to help them understand that they were really messed up and they had to change a lot of things. So he's saying, I'm writing as your dad. I know you have guardians in Christ, but I'm your father in Christ. And so what does he say? Verses 16 and, through, 16 and 17. I appeal to you then... Be imitators of me. For this reason, I sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remain to remind you of my ways in Christ Jesus, as I teach them everywhere in every church. So he's not afraid to say, I want you to imitate me. I'm your spiritual father. I want you to follow me, just like you said before, as I follow Christ. And he said, I'm sending your brother, my other son, Timothy. He's like your big brother. I'm sending him to you so you can understand how important this is. And again, this is top-down leadership. It comes from God through Christ, through the Apostle Paul, to the church. That's the way parenting is supposed to be, top-down leadership. It's very, very obvious. Uh, verses 18 and 19. But some of you, thinking that I am not coming to you, have become arrogant. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power. So there were some troublemakers in the church, okay? There were those in the Corinthian church who were um, giving him some trouble. And so he's saying, look, when I come there, I'm going to see what they have, not just what they say. I want to see what, what, kind of, what kind of oomph they have behind their words. Jonathan, we have a call, so let's go to that call. Uh, 
I believe we have Julius from Connecticut on the line. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Uh, good evening, Ray. Good evening, Jonathan. Uh, thank you for taking my call. You should be flattered, you know, because I, I prioritize your program over doing dishes. Now, wasn't that a tough decision? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a sad commentary, you know, the breakdown of discipline uh, in our society today. It is uh, it is so challenging for the school teachers. It, it, it has to be tough to be a school teacher today. Yeah, I, I imagine at so. At any level, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, my mother-in-law, bless her heart, she passed away. But she had four children, and uh, she was a disciplinarian. Because she loved God, she studied the Bible, and one of the reasons she would emphasize discipline for the children was, as noted, uh, the account is uh, 1 Samuel, you know, the first book of Samuel, yeah. the first five chapters of 1 Samuel, uh, the first five chapters were beautiful hand, I had uh, the child Samuel. Yes. And uh, he served the uh, Shiloh with the high priest Eli. And uh, the tragedy is when Eli disobeyed God, displeased our Heavenly Father, because he failed to discipline his two sons. Mm -hmm. And consequently, they were killed. They died, and he also died uh, with uh, with the Lord's displeasure, God's displeasure, because he failed to discipline his children. And uh, I always admire my mother-in-law for being a disciplinarian and for learning from God's Word that it is a serious thing to discipline uh, children. You know, one thing about, if I may, I just quickly... Uh, yeah, you need to wrap this up uh, here, brother. Yeah. Yeah, when you mention uh, Emily and Amy, yes, uh, five, that is such a <laughs> amusing story. They were fortunate, though, uh, Rick, to have had good parents like you and uh, your wife, Patricia. Well, thank you, Julius. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate it very much. You know, really a great, um, a great uh, example uh, in the uh, in the scriptures that uh, Julius was talking about uh, in terms of looking at how all of this works together. So, um, Jonathan, good thoughts from Julius there about uh, 1 Samuel, the first five chapters, and the importance of disciplining our children according to Scripture. Um, so, just quickly getting back to um, that 1 Corinthians Scripture, the Apostle Paul is laying out how important fatherhood is. Because he's saying, look, as your father, I'm telling you these things, and it's very different than what, you, than what you may hear elsewhere. But you have to listen to me. I'm your father in Christ. Let's go back to that article, Jonathan, Living with Children, uh, the article written by John Rosemond from the Hartford Current, May 8, 2013. Your mom and dad paid more attention to one another than they paid to you. You didn't think about that at all. It was just the way it was. But looking back, you sure are glad you weren't the center of the family universe. You were a satellite orbiting around their solid presence. They even told you on occasion that you were just a little fish in a big pond. You didn't understand what that meant, of course, until you got out in the big pond and began to realize that putting oneself into proper perspective greatly improves one's life and the lives of those around him. They bought you very little, 
so you appreciated everything you had and you took care of it. When your bike broke, you figured out how to fix it or your dad fixed it. In either case, you understood you weren't getting a new one, not anytime soon. You loved your mom and dad, but you left home as early as possible because you were absolutely certain you could make a better life for yourself than you were willing than they were willing to make for you. And you were right. Because isn't that the point of parenting to raise up a child so they can go out and make their own life? Yes, that, it is. That is the beauty of the whole thing. It really is quite exactly. a wonderful thing. And that brings us to another parental discipline conclusion, Jonathan. And what is that? Well, Rick, it's the identity of an effective Christian parent should be easily observed, for they follow Christ with the same fervency that they led their children. So we follow Christ with the same strength and enthusiasm that we lead our children. That's what it means to be a, a parent, a Christian parent. And again, it's not about beating your kids. It's about giving them all of the tools that they need so that they can grow into wonderful, productive adults. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Do Children Really Need Discipline? Coming up, does the New Testament actually teach us methods of discipline for our children? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is Do Children Really Need Discipline? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you could message us on your app and go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, and sign up for CQ Rewind. Hit the newsletter sign-up tab and register for our insider CQ Rewind outline. So, Jonathan, we are focusing on what it takes to raise children, and discipline is critically important, but we want to find the right combination of authority and permissiveness and all of those things. So, to help us not find it, let's go back to disciplining kids across time with the break womb, these, these four moms that are so good at depicting different times uh, and, and the type of discipline that happens. So, now these moms are depicting disciplining a child in the present day, and this really ought to be good. Anthony threw my iPhone in the toilet this morning. Uh-oh. Yeah, I didn't want to tell him that was bad or wrong, so instead I used positive redirection and reminded him that he's a smart, good boy. Super cool. I never say no to Valerie. It's really harmful. Yeah, saying no is an obsolete psychological construct. Toast, Toast my goats. <laughs> They're crazy. <laughs> yeah. An obsolete psychological construct. That's what saying no is. And look, there are people who actually believe that. You have to play the word game to avoid saying no. And Ugh. what a tragedy that is. Because the world is full of no. And unless you teach your child to manage it, it will make them crumble. 
So it's just funny. The the humor makes the point, I think, in this case, better than being serious would make the point. So, Jonathan, you know, in terms of methods of discipline, the whole idea of disciplining a child is to bring them to maturity so they can, here's an idea, so they can grow up, move out. Look at him nod his head, folks. You should I see I nod it. my head. <laughs> grow up and move out and, and be, become independent. That's right. An independent, contributing adult. Maturity goes hand in hand with freedom and privilege. It does, Rick. Too often, we offer freedom and privilege without the maturity. And so then freedom and privilege become an entitlement, which is backwards. And if our children grow up thinking they're entitled to freedom and privilege, then they will do nothing to earn freedom and privilege. And we all know, deep down in our hearts, we all know that is not going to work. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. This is about adults who are acting childishly in terms of their Christianity. For though by this time... You ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic elements of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Okay, so the apostle is saying here, look, you should be grown up by now, but you're not. And I can't depend on you to be able to digest the deep things of God because you're still stuck on the simple little things of God. And they're important, but that's not where it ends. That's where it begins. If you're ending at the beginning, you're not getting through the story. So what is he, what, what's the conclusion here? But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. The problem, Jonathan, is when we allow our children to go through those exercises in life without guiding them as to how to understand those exercises in life. If we don't give them the guidance, they are not going to grow up because those exercises in life are just going to be cause for a tantrum or cause for I want or cause for uh, um, withdrawing. Cause for something other than maturity. Maturity is measurable. Now, for children, maturity is a must. That's got to be where we want our children to get to. Maturity is measurable in our spiritual lives as well as in our family lives. Be mature, and you will find freedom. Be a child, and you won't. If we can truly understand and apply that, we can begin to understand and know how to truly raise our children. Let's take a moment. Let's go back to Psychology 101, Parenting Styles with Lisa Fossbender. Remember, she told us about the authoritative, uh, authoritarian, I'm sorry, the authoritarian way. Yes, no, be quiet, speak only when spoken to. Then the permissive way. Okay, that's what you want. Of course you can have it. Now she's going to introduce a third way, which she calls the traditional way of parenting. And this is kind of a combination of the previous two. Now, the third parenting style, or the fourth, depending on how you're counting, is it's a combination, actually, of those first major two. I call it the traditional parenting style because when you think back of how 
at least we think that children are raised in the 50s and 60s and whatnot, in the good old days, as you or your parents may call them. Although things were not necessarily that good then either, it's just that we don't remember them. <laughs> there was still drug use, there was still divorce, there was still adultery, all the things that we're doing now we were doing then, we just simply didn't publicize them nearly as much as we do now. But I digress. So if you go back and you look at TV shows and movies and stuff from that time, generally what you see is that the mother is very nurturing and the father is the disciplinarian. So what we're looking at there is a combination of one authoritarian parent and one permissive indulgent parent. It's the wait till your father gets home or, you know, when your dad gets home you're going to be in trouble or you want to do something, ask mom, she'll give in to anything sort of thing. So, and that's the typical thing where you, you, you can pit one parent against the other because as a child, you know, children are really smart. That's the thing. They are. They smart. They're, they're, they can figure out which parent will give in to what. And so they can find ways as they get a little bit older to play one parent against the other. Well, you know, mom, dad said I could do this. Well, is that what dad said? Yeah. Well, okay, if dad said so. Well, did dad really say so? No, he was probably nodding and not paying attention. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, something, something like that. But the idea is combining the permissive and the authoritarian individual, that's kind of a traditional middle ground where you have both of those things going on. So we'll find out how that works out in just a couple of minutes here. Uh, but before then, we got another great quote. And, and, you know, I love quotes. I love quotes because they're, they consolidate somebody's thinking on a subject in a very specific way. This particular quote uh, ab about maturity is from Samuel Ullman. Maturity is the ability to think, speak, and act your feelings within the bounds of dignity. The measure of your maturity is how spiritual you become during the midst of your frustrations. So I think that's powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. The ability to think, speak, and act your feelings within the bounds of dignity. And again, dignity is an old-fashioned word. It's kind of gotten lost. It's, you know, and you know where it is? It's where? lost behind that rock, and integrity got lost back there too. Mm. And honesty got lost behind the rock as well. Because now we have situational ethics, and whatever feels right is right. So dignity, honesty, and integrity all got lost. But the idea is maturity is being able to be expressive within the bounds of, of, of being dignified. And you measure your, 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 your uh, maturity by how spiritual you become in the midst of your frustrations. That's a tough one for a lot of us. Because when we get frustrated kind of lose our spirituality, don't we? <laughs> Sometimes the emotions overtake us. And does that mean then we are in some ways leaning toward the milk of the word rather than the meat of the word like our previous scripture? we got to watch out for that. That's right, Rick. You're let, right. Let, let, let's go back to that, um, that article by John Rosemond in the Hartford Current. Again, Living with Children, May 8th, 2013. And he's, he's, he's giving a throwback to the parenting style of 50, 60 years ago and the differences between that and now. Back then, elementary school classes often held more than 40 children, most of whom came to first grade not knowing their ABCs. Back then, your mother didn't give you much, if any, help with your homework. Yet at the end of first grade and every subs subsequent grade, in fact, those kids were outperforming today's kids in every subject, and today's moms think 
think good moms help with homework. Today's parents still pay the bills, buy the clothes, prepare the food, and so on. But by some strange twist, they treat their children as if they were the most important people in the family. Parents don't act bigger anymore either. When they talk to their children, they get down to their level, like they're petitioning the king, and they whine as in, Do you think you can stop what you're doing for a minute and help mommy carry in the groceries? The rule seems very simple. Parents ask children to do things, and children take their requisites under consideration. Requests under consideration. Requests, sorry. Requests. So it's backwards. Something went wrong. Something, Something turned around, and instead of saying, hey, look, we've got groceries. Come on and help. It's... Oh, do you think that you could stop what you're doing so that you could take the time to help mommy? Look, it's wonderful to want to give the child the ability to decide. I get that. But what we don't get, what we shouldn't be doing is making everything a decision for our children to be able to say yes or no to. Because the fact of life is there are many things that are not yes or no. There are I've got to do it. And if you don't teach your child early on that responsibility has to be taken care of, then when they get older, they're not going to take care of responsibility. And they're not going to leave the house either, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, and see, that's the point. When you make the child the centerpiece of the household, they grow up believing they're the centerpiece of the household. And why would any child want to leave if they're the centerpiece? They're already the king and queen. Right. (laughs) So it really is important to understand how to put this all in perspective in terms of disciplining with love, with kindness, with integrity, and with authority. You can't do some without the other because it's not a complete picture. Let's go to uh, back to uh, Lisa Fossbender and Psychology 101 Parenting Styles. Uh, and remember, she talked about the traditional parenting style just before you read that article, Jonathan. And that is combining authority, uh, the authoritarian with the permissive parent. Well, what are the results of that type of combination? Now, kids who are raised by this sort of traditional parenting turn out pretty good. Because as it turns out, children, as much as they may protest otherwise, like rules. They like to know what to expect. They like to know what is expected of them. They like to know that when they do this, this is going to happen. Kids actually kind of like that, as do adults. It's kind of weird to be someplace where there are no rules. At first it's fun, but eventually it gets a little weird. These kids turn out pretty well because they are getting guidance, which is good, and they're getting love, which is also good. The first two, you either get guidance or or love, and sometimes you don't even get that. Okay, You don't get all of those together at the same time. So these kids turn out pretty good. because The thing is, though, a lot of times they wind up, for instance, even being afraid of their father, respecting the father but not loving him because they're afraid of him. And mother often is thought of as being kind of a doormat. So you can get a good result, but there's also some negative things in terms of the perception of the parents. So you've got the authoritarian, you've got the permissive approach, now you've got the traditional approach, all have aspects that are good, but aspects that aren't good. There's got to be a different way, and there is, and that's coming up in the next segment. This is Christian Questions, your weekly live podcast to help you think about the Bible like you never have before. 
talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or call us now at 866-985-4255. So, Jonathan, just a a quick comment from the chat board. Um, Comment says, Discipline done in an effective yet reasonable way is suggested in Galatians 6.4. And the fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And, and that's exactly where we're going with all of this. You don't do it to provoke them to anger. You don't, you don't plant the seeds of anger in them. You plant the seeds of understanding because you're showing them something important and you're showing it to them firmly and yet with some compassion. So we've got to find a way to do that. And using scriptural principles is going to get us there. So necessary discipline comes in degrees for some catch on faster than others. Okay, this is really important if you have more than one kid. This is a spiritual principle and should be mirrored in our family discipline as well. So we're going to go to the spiritual principle in Hebrews chapter 12, and then we're going to look at it, it apply it to our, our, our children. Hebrews 12, verses 5, well, it's, we'll do 5 through 8 first. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children. My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. Endure trials for the sake of discipline. God is treating you as a children. As children, For what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? If you do not have the discipline in which all children share, then you are illegitimate and not his children." Boy, does that say something about the importance of discipline. It sure does, Rick. <laughs> um, so it, it, it's, it's really important. But there's three actual kind of phases of, of discipline in this. Uh, and the first is, do not lose heart when you are rebuked by him. Scolding with words or a look disheartens. So in other words, some children can react to just a word or to a look. You know, and my daughter Emily reacted to the look. It was so easy, much easier with her. You know, you gave her the look and she would just crumble because she knew, okay, got to shape up right here, right now. A lot of children, though, don't, don't, don't respond to that. They know it, but they want to defy it or they want to go further or they want to ignore it. So next is, for the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Discipline or action doesn't feel like love, Rick. So... Now you have to take some very specific steps to make sure that you are um, applying the, the discipline properly, and you've got to do something rather than just give them the look. A lot of times parents give the look, and then they fade. That's not what this is about here. This is something so much bigger than that. And then it goes on to the third aspect, chastises every child whom he accepts. Scourging seems to be the opposite of acceptance. Okay, so scourging seems to be the opposite. Now, a scourging, I mean, scourging, like, you know, hitting, spanking. I mean, that's what you're talking about here. And the, yeah. Bible, the Bible doesn't say you shouldn't spank. And there are times and places this is not about, you know, should we use spanking as a part of discipline. Uh, you know, in our parenting, just to, to be clear, um, we didn't uh, do a lot of it, but occasionally— especially with my son, who was just such a tough kid to raise. Occasionally there was a spanking or two, but it wasn't like every day the kid got spanked. And so the idea is sometimes it takes more than with one child than with other children. And you've got to be able to go and rise to that level, whatever it needs to be, because the discipline has to be put in place. 
That's what this scripture is saying. And it's, it's wrapping up in uh, Hebrews chapter 12 now to verses 9 through 11. Moreover, we had human parents to discipline us, and we respected them. Should we not be even more willing to be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. To those who have been trained by it. If you are paying attention to the particular child that you're trying to train, they can learn through discipline. If you are not disciplining them, there's no way that they can learn those important lessons. So, so Jonathan, let's go to the parental discipline conclusion for this segment. To know your children is to know how to discipline, lead, and love them towards maturity. That is how God disciplines, leads, and loves us. See, it's much more than just knowing how they feel. It's knowing what they need. And as a parent, that's our job. I must know what my children need, and I must supply that. That's my job job. Don't let anybody tell you that your job is anything less than that. The scriptures tell us it's that, and we need to apply ourselves to that end. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, Do Children Really Need Discipline? Coming up, how do we avoid the everyday mistakes that people make, which produce glaring, immature kids? That's next. listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is Do Children Really Need Discipline? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, as we approach this final segment uh, of our our, uh, discussion tonight, we want to um, just focus just one more time on the the, the break womb, the, the moms showing us discipline across the ages, if you will. And now they're moving forward to the 2050s, 2050s. So obviously it's going to be a little bit different. <laughs> so let's just see what they have in store. Glort crashed the mainframe of our global VR system, completely wiping out our family's finances. Clearly, I caused him to behave this way, so as punishment, I locked myself in our space attic for a week with no space food and no space water. So, what a riot. Well, you know, and the message, though, is really powerful. Clearly, I caused him to do that. So I locked myself. <laughs> I punished myself. For a week. <laughs> because, and that's where we're going with raising children now. And that's the tragedy of leaving tradition, leaving the wisdom of previous generations all behind. We say it's all obsolete. And when we look back, what we're finding is, no, it's not obsolete. It's all necessary 
and we have forgotten and ignored what is necessary in exchange for what feels good, and what feels good will not last. Here's a great quote from Rudolf Steiner. In raising children, we need to continuously keep in mind how we can best create the most favorable environment for their imitative behavior. Everything done in the past regarding imitation must become more and more conscious and more and more consciously connected with the future. And Jonathan, the point of that quote is that children imitate what they see. That's a fact of life. So you have the greatest, as a parent, the greatest opportunity to create what they imitate so they can bring it into their adult lives. What are you giving them to imitate? So that's a powerful question and a hard question. It it is. Are you being mature as a parent and doing what you have to do even though it's not comfortable? And are you telling them, are you drawing them to your personal example to imitate? Because that's what we're told to do. Because yes. so so I mean th- th- it's a it's a it's a hard thing to look at, but we've got to look at it if we want to raise children and give them a chance at maturity. So let's go back to psychology one hundred and one for the fourth style of parenting, and this is the mother of all styles of parenting. Okay, this is the one that really truly works absolutely best. Now, studies have found that the best style of parenting is also, not surprisingly, the hardest, at least in part because I suspect an awful lot of us were not raised this way. It's called authoritative. Authoritative parenting combines both guidance and rules along with love and affection in the same package. There are indeed rules that children are expected to follow. But, for instance, if the child thinks that that there is a good reason for something, The child can talk to the parent. Parents listen to children. Parents talk with children, not just to them or at them, like you see with authoritarian or permissive, where the talk basically means nothing. Now, they do punish. This is not to say that authoritative parents don't punish. They do. It's just that oftentimes they're not perhaps as quick to punish as the authoritarians are. But one thing that that the authoritative has that authoritarian doesn't is love and affection. You know, I'm reminded of the example, um, you know, from my uh, that I told you with Trish and, and our two daughters. There was love and affection there. There was listening. There was acknowledgement, and there was authority. And that it's a it's a beautiful combination. We we've talked in in past po- programs on parenting uh, about how children need to have walls that they need to guide them, and sometimes those walls are made of brick and mortar. And sometimes they're rubber because they can bend. And as a parent, you decide which walls are brick and which walls are bendable, which ones you can have negotiation on because that's part of the maturing process. But hey, Jonathan, here's the thing. You know, to avoid the everyday mistakes that people make that which produce glaringly immature kids, we got to know the facts. First fact is a child is childish. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Good point, Rick. (laughs) A child is childish and is not equipped to function as an adult. That seems silly, but it's something that's often overlooked. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. Brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. 
for you were not ready for solid food. Again, that same illustration. I want you to be more grown up than you are, and so I have to treat you differently than I'd like to because you still have some maturing to do. Even now you're still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not, not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? So he's taking their sectarian behavior, and he's saying that's an evidence of childishness. And in that evidence, he's saying, I need to teach you more. You haven't grown up yet. There's more that you have yet to learn, more than you have yet to see, that you have yet to apply. Let me work with you on that. And that's a great father. Realizing where the lack is, bringing it to the fore, and then dealing with it. So when we act childish, we, by definition, must have the reins of freedom pulled from us. If parents do not act, then the child is left to suffer and will find another example to imitate. If we don't act, if we don't give them an example to follow, they're going to find one that's more comfortable to follow. And Rick, how many kids fall into gangs yeah. and other places to feel wanted and belonged and have a per sense of purpose where they're not getting it at home? Yeah, even the mere idea of peer pressure, you know, that's imitative behavior. That's right. That's what it is. So we have to be strong in giving our children something to imitate at home to be able to combat what's naturally out there in terms of peer pressure and so forth. So the first fact is a child is childish. The next fact, Jonathan, is what? Children are not meant to remain children. Their function is to grow up. Yes. <laughs> Notice true growing up takes time, nourishment, and experience. You can't grow up without being given time. You can't grow up without being nourished along the way through your, your, uh, your experiences. You can't grow up without being shown what the things that happen to you in life really mean for you. And that's what parents do. You know, when a kid comes home all broken because their, their, their best friend left them or they didn't do well or they were made fun of or whatever the reason, the parent's responsibility is to help them understand the experience and not make the experience the centerpiece of their life, but make the experience part of their growing up. That's how you teach children. Um, just a, uh, another comment from the, uh, from the, uh, uh, comment board here. It says, I like the illustration of three A's of being a parent, similar to those that you bring up being a brick wall, authoritarian, being a jellyfish permissive, or being a backbone. God and Christ display the backbone approach of flexibility, yet strength, accountability, consequences for learning and love, mercy and forgiveness. So... Are you going to be a brick wall, a jellyfish, or are you going to be a, have a backbone? <laughs> That's I love a it. Great, great, great thought. comment. Great thought there. So when um, we, we want to make sure we understand that children just need to have that example to be shown how to take the experiences of their life and make them learn stepping stones in their life. The next, uh, no, we already did. Um, oh, did we do the 1 Corinthians 14, 20 scripture? We did not. Well, I guess we better, huh? 
we should. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Rather, be infants in evil, but in thinking, be adults. <laughs> so, in other words, don't grow up into the meat of evil. Stay away from it. Don't apply yourself towards it. Grow up. Uh, don't be children in your thinking. Be adults in your thinking. And you can do that. You need to grow up. And look, many adults are still children. And in Christianity, that should not be a place where we decide to stay. And too often we allow that to happen, and we've got to grow up. So, so let's go back one last time, last soundbite for, for today's podcast, to Psychology 101, Parenting Styles with Lisa Fossbender. And she just described authoritative parenting, which is using authority and a mixture of some permissiveness with strength and love and wisdom and guidance and integrity and all of those things. What does that bring us? Let's listen. Kids raised with authoritative parenting tend to turn out really quite good because they've learned to communicate, they've learned to feel good about themselves, they've learned to not be doormats, they've learned not just to demand but to have reasons, they've learned that they can't always get what they want. Just because a child comes up with what seems like a good argument doesn't mean the parents will automatically give in in authoritative. So this is where you tend to get the best outcomes. But this is extremely difficult. And there are times probably that it can't be done. If your child is running out into traffic, you know, your four-year-old's playing in the street, and it's a busy street, you're not necessarily want to go out and try to reason with them. You're going to go out and get them the hell out of the street and then maybe talk to them. So, so it does have to be geared toward the age of the child. But generally, authoritative parenting has been found in studies to give the best results in terms of well-adjusted kids and well-adjusted adults. So, and Jonathan, I think, I believe thoroughly after this conversation and this podcast, that is exactly what the scriptures are telling us to do, to be authoritative, to be firm, to have the rod, the scepter of authority, and to apply it firmly as God applies firmly his authority in our lives, as we follow Christ, as we are forgiven when we do wrong before Christ— all of those things apply to our parenting. So if we would just take what we are learning as Christians and apply it to our parenting, that is how you become a parent with the positiveness, with the strength, with the patience, with the integrity and the discipline to And truly. the love that's a part of it. And man, you know, all, and you know, I'm glad you, 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 you said it that way because all of those other things are truly expressions of love. Amen. That's that that is love is the big thing and it's expressed through discipline. It's expressed through saying no. It's expressed through having to to deal with child's disappointment. It's expressed through all of those things. Uh, let's finish up this article by John Rosemond uh, Living with Children uh, written in the Hartford Current uh, just a few years ago. Today's typical mom and dad pay a lot more attention to the children than they do to one another. They also talk more to them, do more for them, and take more interest in them. It would seem that today's parents are the satellites orbiting around the children, who are obviously big fish and getting bigger all the time. And so today's kids leave home later, and many of them come back home, the so-called boomerang child, because they never learn certain fundamentals, as in don't spend more than you earn. 
Sometimes people accuse me of what's called golden age thinking. I idolize the 1950s, they say. I disagree. I only say what is statistically verifiable. The 1950s was a better time for kids, according to the mental health statistics. We are happier than today's kids, by far. In that regard, the latest research finds that obedient children are much happier than disobedient children. The latest research also finds that kids from homes where their parents' marriages are strong do better in school, regardless of IQ. There I go again, idolizing common sense. And, and you know, he's right. What's happened is the parents are the satellites circling around the children. That is backwards. Because if we stay, if we do that, then our children will remain children instead of becoming adults. And, and the couples will fall apart because yeah. their focus is on each other to keep the marriage together. Right. And, and it is just messes it all up. Right. And you see that so often when the children move out several years later, the, the parents divorce because there's nothing left in common. That's right. What happened to you? You lost the core value of that relationship because it was misplaced priorities. Children right. are a priority, but they're only one of many priorities, and we need to understand that. So one final fact here, Jonathan, we're almost out of time. Children have little strength, and they need the support of the mature. If we as parents do not provide our best example, attitude, humility, leadership, and discipline, then to their struggle and failure in life, their struggle and failure in life is our struggle and failure as well. We will own it if we don't give them our very best. Ephesians 4, 11 to 15. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity to the measure of the full stature of Christ. So in the body of Christ, there are many gifts, many things are given to help things along. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Again, don't be a child, be an adult. Don't raise children to be children, raise them to be adults. Jonathan, what's our final parental discipline conclusion? We as parents must stand against the current tides of confusion, feelings, and permissiveness, and hand down to our children the godly nurturing that we have received. We live in a time and an age of absolute permissiveness, out-of-control basis of feelings. It's wrong. It's damaging to our children. It's damaging to our society, and it's damaging to us. So, Jonathan, this is a lose, lose, lose situation that we are in. We must learn to apply the principles of godliness in such a way as to avoid these things from continuing to happen, because if we just let it go, we are contributing to the downfall of our children. And folks, it's our fault if we don't stand for discipline and authority in a godly way. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us tonight. We certainly have enjoyed being with you. So much to discuss in terms of putting things in perspective and raising our children and actually going to work raising them. 
So until next week and another subject, children need discipline. Think about it. Folks, we love hearing from you, our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's subject. Uh, Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com and make sure to download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store. And remember, we look forward to bringing you another subject next week.